you have an obligation as a leader. Please don't worry about being in charge. That's the last thing you need to worry about. What you need to be focused on is making an impact. Helping business leaders grow themselves, their team, and their profits. This is Entree Leadership. Now, here's your host, Ken Coleman. Coming to you from the Entree Leadership Summit in San Diego. This is the broadcast of leaders by leaders for leaders. Thank you so much for joining us. Here's what we've got coming up. Our second day of summit speakers were Chris Hogan, Simon Sinek, Marcus Buckingham, yours truly. And we had a great panel with Dave, Simon, and Marcus. There were also breakout sessions with Travis Borsma, who's the CEO of Dutch Bros Coffee, and Pat Flynn on how to build a brand and a lunch session with our friends Brian and Shannon Miles from Belay Solutions. So just an absolutely jam-packed day, which is the norm here at Summit. Now, on today's episode, we're going to give you some great content from Chris Hogan and Simon Sinek. Let's jump right into Summit day number two. We're going to lead off with Chris Hogan, who spoke on the power of a rising tide, taking your leadership to the next level. Here is a portion of Chris's keynote from the summit stage. Listening versus learning. What I want to encourage you to do as leaders is let's put into practice some stuff we're learning here this week. Don't be an innocent bystander. Don't you dare be a pedestrian or an observer. You've got some real things at stake and you've got some real opportunities. Dave told you that to be a great leader, it's a decision. And a lot of you decided when you came here. And that's a daily decision. That's not a sometime decision. That's not a today decision. I need you to get ready to make that decision every day. Henry Cloud talked to you about your desired future, the power of the chair that you sit in, as well as some team members. Pat Lencioni talked to you about being present as a leader. And my goodness, Carrie, whoo, that girl was amazing. Gave us an opportunity to really stare into the face of what fear and death looks like. Some of y'all got some nice, neat lives where the most stressful decision you made was, do I get a salad or a wrap, right? What dressing do I get? Okay, this woman's dealing with some real stuff. It was an eye-opener for me. And can we talk about art? You know what? You know what? That's a bad man right there. I love it. That's a coach, the heart of a coach, shooting you straight, talking about just do it. But as we look at this, I want to encourage you, please don't be a bystander. Please don't sit in here amongst all these other like-minded people, people that are walking through some stuff and trying to make some stuff happen. Please don't be in here casual. I get a chance to talk to you about the power of the rising tide. And I want to talk to you about this and walk you through some things you need to be focused on if you're going to rise. Because I feel like we all can take our businesses to the next level. We all can take our lives to the next level, but we have to make some decisions. But first, I need to talk about this. It's kind of interesting. I get a chance to talk about water um, because I'm not exactly what you would call a great swimmer. Okay, aquatics, I needed you here. Uh, I should have had you on speed dial. No, stop cheering. We got to talk about this. Um, So I went and I was hanging out with some special ops guys. I had an opportunity this past summer to go do some military things, and it was a blast. And they took me outside to a hovercraft. These things really exist. And we were in the parking lot just like hovering around. And I felt very safe because there was land. These four special ops guys look at me and they say, hey, Hogan, you want to go out to sea? 
yeah. <laughs> like they were all four staring at me. I didn't have a choice, Summit. I didn't, right? And they were like, let's go out to sea. And the one guy was like, well, we don't have clearance. And the four special officers said, hey, we're going to give him a heck of an experience. Let's go. And so we head out to sea. As soon as we start moving toward the ocean, I started to have some awareness of a couple things. Uh, number one, this body belongs on land, okay? Yeah, it does, number, number one. Number two, I'm not exactly what you call a sea level swimmer, okay? That's reality. My preferred water is like three feet in a swimming pool, clear water, me and the kids with swimmies on, okay? That's what I do. Uh, the kids and I have an agreement. They keep an eye on me, I keep an eye on them. Everybody's safe. It looks like I'm babysitting, but I'm not. They're watching me, okay? That was the first thing. The third thing that I realized was, I don't have on a life jacket. Uh, they didn't either, but they were fine. I was concerned. This was not OSHA approved, right? This was a situation. We get out there, we're hovering around, we're dipping and swirling, and my blood pressure, my back is sweating, I'm stressed. And then I realized something, that I was in good hands. I had four special ops dudes with me. They weren't gonna let me, like, die, I hope, right? <laughs> no, they didn't need that kind of PR, like, you know, little Kentucky black man dies in ocean, right? <laughs> I'm little on the inside, I'm little on the inside. But I was in good hands. I tell you that because I want your team to have that same kind of feeling, that regardless of the rough sea, regardless of the rough situation, that your leadership, is in good hands. You are that kind of leader that you wouldn't leave them behind. You've got a mindset, you're focused on helping them. And so if we do this, there's no doubt in my mind that you can go to the next level. And I want you to hear me, don't tell me you can't. You can tell me you won't, but don't tell me you can't. And that kind of mindset changes things. So as we dive into this, I want you to think a little bit different. Some of you have gone through some things and some challenges, and I, I understand that, but I, I'm not worried about where you are, I'm worried about where you're going. And when you make a different decision for yourself and your business, you can make an impact. It's absolutely imperative. So the rising tide, you know, when, you, when the tide is out, there's no life. Like we've seen this and we've seen the examples, and it's amazing. And there's a lot of life to the tide. It brings life, things that happen. And your office can do that same thing. You need to see that. Some of you are aware that you're responsible for a lot of people. You have an obligation as a leader. Please don't worry about being in charge. That's the last thing you need to worry about being. What you need to be focused on is making an impact. And when you have that kind of mindset, it shifts everything. You look at things totally different. It's so vital. And so if you are aware and you're having an impact on yourself and your team, you can also have an impact on your customers. Some of you are the family your team doesn't have. Marinate on that for a few minutes. Yeah, they go home and they're alone and they can't wait to come to work to be with you because you're the person that cares enough about them to check on them. They don't have any other family. That's why it's so important for you to make sure you not only build, but you protect this thing that you have this call on your life. It's that important. And some of you are people, you know there are people in business that are out there dabbling and tiptoeing and having fun. Hey, I'm not worried about them. They're not focused. They're not gonna make an impact on the people that are counting on them. And it's imperative. You know why? The tide also brings protection. You need to have people that have your back. 
Every leader that I talk to, they say, Chris, you know, oh, that loyalty thing is important. And you know how you see it? And when you start to hear it, when people leave, when people leave, leaders get all bit out of shape. Chris, you wouldn't believe they abandoned me. And abandoned you. They either moved on or moved to another opportunity. See, that loyalty is a two-way street. It's amazing. As a leader, I've wanted it and probably even felt like I'd abandoned it. I didn't realize loyalty is earned. It's the daily treatment of your team. Do they, do they trust you? Do they love you? Do they know that you love them and care about them? It's important. So the best way to get somebody to have your back is to have theirs. Show up and have theirs. Trust, loyalty, and being there with them. It's vital, and it can make this impact on people's lives in ways you have no idea. I sent out a tweet a few years ago, and it, it just caught on and went viral, but I said good leaders can help people get better at their jobs, right? That's what a good leader can do, but a great leader's different. A great leader can help people get better at their lives all the way around. Which one do you want to be? Right? And you make that decision and you go, well, wait a minute. I want to, I, I want somebody to talk about how I encouraged them and they felt that power that I truly believed in them. It's probably the greatest compliment I can ever receive is for somebody to bump into one of my boys one day after I'm long gone and they say, I met your daddy or I heard that man speak and he had amazing hair. Okay. <laughs> he encouraged me because he believed in me. I think that's the greatest compliment we can have as leaders, but we have to have that mindset. And so loyalty is two-way, my friends. Don't expect it and not give it. And as leaders, I'm telling you, one of the most dangerous things we can do is be distracted. A distracted leader is dangerous. And so you want to give a complete awareness and be plugged in. And help can look like different ways. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of people think that we have to solve problems for team members. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think the thing that we have to do is to be aware with them so we can walk with them. You can give them some guidance and give them some input. But please, don't be the kind of leader that's just interested in knowing just for knowing's sake, that you're interested in knowing what's going on in their lives so you can help to guide them, okay? So sometimes you show up, just the presence and you know, and I know, I, in years past, I hadn't been really good with following up. Like if I ask somebody how they're doing, the typical response is what? Fine. And as leaders, we're busy, and so we hear fine, and guess what we do? Roll on. But if you're a connected leader, and you want to have an impact, something different happens. Because you look in their eyes, and you ask them how they're doing, and they say fine, but you see that they're not fine. So here's what I want you to do. Have the audacity to follow up. It's crazy the ripple effect we can have as leaders if we're aware, if we stay in tune and we realize we're dealing with people, not widgets. You're dealing with people's lives and I want you to do that. I want you to be a rising tide and have an impact on the people that are around you because they're watching you and they're waiting on somebody to care enough to pour into their lives and to help them. So here's what I'm telling you, don't be surprised by issues, expect them. Most importantly, have a plan in how you're gonna deal with them because it changes the game. I had an opportunity to be on an aircraft carrier early this summer when I was out doing some things with the military and it blew me away the size of that. And we saw the USS Midway, 
Just the sheer size of that. Watching it on TV doesn't give it perspective. But as we were standing out there, this thing is like a floating city. There's a lot of moving parts, but guess what? The captain, the commander of that ship cannot run that ship by themselves. They can get up there and turn the little wheel all they want, but there's about 20 other people they need. And I think that's the perfect metaphor for us in business that we oftentimes think as the leader, it's just about us and it's not about you. It's about your team and your customers, but you need your team. Do they feel needed? Do they feel appreciated? See, this is where you have a chance to go back and make an immediate impact on people because do they feel needed? Are they appreciated? And this appreciation thing goes a long way. I start off my day, first 10 minutes writing thank you notes, and I'm trying to show gratitude. It's important to have that spirit. And let me tell you something, it's hard to be hateful when you're grateful, okay? And having that spirit of gratitude with your vendors, with your team members, I mean, it's, it changes the game. And so writing that thank you note and telling them that, it's awesome. So display that because you can't run your business alone either. You need other people on your team. All right, I wanna share with you three principles of a rising tide. These last three things are a foundational piece of being a rising tide. Number one, believe in yourself, your team, and God. Okay, you need to believe in all three. You're gonna deal with some struggle. You're gonna deal with some issues. And I want you to hold on to this because this reminds you that you are capable. I firmly believe that when we walk through some struggles, it helps us to determine who we really are, what we believe, what are we standing up for? Who are you battling with? And I wanna encourage you to make sure that you have the right people in your corner. I've had some incredible friends walk with me in these last few months as I dealt with some stuff. And it's amazing to have people you can count on, people that you trust, right? You see, I think you committed when you came and you've got an opportunity to go back and be intentional. See, when you're intentional, things happen. You don't need anybody's permission to get better as a leader. You don't need anybody's permission to go back and be more intentional with your team. This is your choice. You get an opportunity to decide. You have the opportunity to go, I'm gonna take my business to the next level by taking my leadership to the next level. And yeah, you made some mistakes along the way, that's okay. But guess what? It just means we're human. But what do we do from here? How do we do this? Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and I want you to grow forward. It's important. That mindset changes things. And I need you to hear me, Summit. It's imperative because if you won't help yourself, it's going to be difficult for you to be able to help your team. So you got to change your heart. You start to think differently. That I don't need anybody's permission. This is my life. I make the choices. I get to decide. You can count me out if you want to, but it turns out I'm the damn referee. I'm in charge of my effort and my heart and my spirit because I'm not playing. I know there's people counting on me and God gave me this thing for a reason and I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna use it to the best of my ability. And until six of them packed me to my grave, I'm not quitting. And I want you to have that same kind of belief in what you stand for. Quit playing around and tiptoeing. You got people counting on you. And I want people to look at you and say, you made an impact. You made a difference in their lives. You got people that come from single moms, people that come from broken homes, and they ain't got nobody else to count on. That's your job. Go back and do your job. I know you're capable. Just make a daggone decision. God bless you, Summit.
All right, we're going to give you more Chris Hogan coming up right now. Chris went from the main stage to our live from Summit stage, where Daniel Tardy, our Executive Vice President of Business and Leadership, sat down with Chris in front of our overflow room. They had a great conversation. Here it is. Well, Chris, your talk that you did this morning was one of my favorite, and I hadn't heard this content before, but we've been talking about what it's going to be, and I thought, man, this is going to be good. And this whole week, we've, we've had this theme of the idea of the rising tide raises all ships, the power of a unified team, that when the whole tide goes up, everybody wins. Instead of focusing just on my ship, if I can focus on the whole tide, all the ships, including mine, right. benefit. So break down for our live from Summit audience just for a second, kind of the essence of that talk, because you hit a lot of really key points. But we're talking about how you really love your team and take yes. care of your team, right? No, it's so important. I mean, as you look and you start to think, I want leaders, Daniel, to think about the team different. Um, I think too many times we can think of people in roles and just doing a job. When when you think about it from a leadership perspective, you've got an incredible opportunity to really impact people's lives. I say a good leader can help people get better at their job, but a great leader can help people get better at their life. And I think if we think about that- Wait broadly, a second. That's, that's big. I don't want people to miss yeah. this. Yeah. A good leader helps people get better at their job. Yeah. A great leader helps them get better at their life. Yes. What do you mean? I mean, that's a big it, thought. It is big, but it, it's that, Daniel, it's getting connected with people. Mm. You know, I know firsthand you have spent many hours talking to your teammates. Uh, you've walked with them through some great times and through some tough times, but being present. And you're one of those people that you care enough to follow up. Uh, you care enough to check on them. Uh, you'll go by on a Saturday and meet with them. Uh, you'll do things because they matter to you. And I think when a leader starts to think about their team members as family, that work family, it changes the whole dynamic. Well, I want you to speak to this for a second because that is true of me, but I don't know that it would be true if I didn't work where it was a place where it was modeled all the time. Yes. And I feel like I've been encouraged and, and given permission and really expected to do that. But Chris, the normal mindset and business out there is well, it's all business. We come to work. The relationships are good when they're at work, but then we got to turn it off and don't mix business right. and friendships. And so we know that's not true at Ramsey Solutions, but give people permission for a second to beyond the norm in the business world kind of spill over into the personal lives and what that really looks like because it's a really powerful thing. No, it is powerful. And it is a complete 180 of what the typical corporate environment thinks. And I come from the banking world, you well know, but I give you permission to do that. And it'll feel weird initially. You'll think, oh gosh, this sudden, I mean, this is, they may not respect me if I start to show that I care or I'll lose that power. And it's actually the opposite. You caring and showing it, now what happens is, is they go, well, I matter to this. My leader actually cares enough about me to check on my kid that's having surgery, uh, to have the audacity to come by the hospital, to be with a team member whose family member is going through a tough time. Yeah, but it's been modeled. You and I have spent an incredible amount of time, personal time with Dave. Dave is who he says he is. He is that man. And when you're around that, it was weird for me initially when I got there. I'm thinking, what is Dave doing? You know, like, is he supposed to, is he allowed to come by the hospital? You know, and it was being around it. It is different, but that's what I want you to do. I want you to think differently and act differently as a leader. It'll make an incredible impact on your team. So the impact on the team, I, I know in business, we're always thinking about ROI. And I know in my own story, I had to get away from thinking transactional and realizing that you cannot be efficient with relationships. Hmm. We want everything in our business to be efficient. We want the ROI, we want maximum return for minimum investment, 
But you can't really look at relationships through that lens, can you? No, you really can. And Daniel, I actually, I um, talked about this at Entree Leadership Master Series. ROI, return on investment. I think there are other eyes we need to look at the return on as leaders. A return on inclusion. Right When you include your team in that mission, now they feel involved and they feel connected. Uh, there's a return on involvement with you as a leader being involved in your team members' lives. And I don't mean overstepping the bounds, but knowing how they're doing, knowing how many kids they have, what's going on, where are they from, their favorite team, things of that nature can make an absolute impact. So don't think on the return on the investment. Think on return on inclusion and return on involvement as a leader. Yeah, absolutely. So when the team is united, let's go back to this idea of a rising tide. We know what it's like when the team's not united, when, when the team's divided and there's gossip and there's dissension. And as leaders, we spend all our time just trying to manage that and get everybody to do their job. Let's talk about the power of a united team that I got your back. We're locking arms. We're in this together. It's difficult to create. But what happens when we have that? When you create that, and again, leader means you go first. So you're going to have to take those steps and you're going to feel awkward and you're going to think, is this, is this the right thing to do? And I'm going to tell you, if you're doing it with the right heart and the right spirit for your team and your business, then yes, it's the right thing to do. But once you have that, you've now created something special, in my opinion. Uh, the top 10% of companies get a chance to feel true unity. One of the things we talk about, Daniel and Entree Leadership, is the seven enemies of unity. And for those of you that are plugging into All Access, you'll get an opportunity to kind of to hear that and walk through it. But we need to make sure we're uniting each other. And that means you have to create that. So create opportunities to have dinner together, bring in breakfast, just spend time. I'll never forget when I first uh, started thinking like this, I rented out a bowling alley. Uh, okay, three lanes of it because we weren't a big team. Uh, but, but, but we just went and bowled. I didn't talk about anything business related. And I have to tell you guys, stepping back and looking at my team, the marketers laughing with the processors, the salespeople hanging out with the receptionists, and I saw them laughing and just hanging out, no business. And I realized we're starting to get connected. The walls were coming down and people were starting to talk to each other. And there's a difference between talking at somebody and talking with them. And I think if you can establish that baseline communication and civility inside your office, you can build toward unity. So, Chris, we're talking about this idea that the best way to get results is to invest in relationships. And as leaders, I think we understand, especially leaders at Summit, these are very mature, highly emotionally intelligent people who get it. And they're investing relationally. How do you get your team to invest in relationships with each other. Because I, I can't make her have a good relationship with him. That's right. And as the leader, I can be pouring into them individually. But how do I bring that unity across the culture of the whole team? Great question. I think it goes back to you going first and creating those situations for the team to be together. Bring in bagels. Do something. Uh, pizza. Just hang out. But then also talk about how important it is. Talk about, hey, we're going to be different. We're going to care about each other. We don't all have to be best friends, but we want to have respect and understanding for everybody's position and value to the team. And when we start that, and you're just going to have to talk about it and train on it. You know, it's important. And here, can I tell them something? Here's the thing that nobody told me in my leadership training. Leadership means repeating. Okay. You can't tell them once and think you've told them, right? Like how many of you have kids? Okay. You get my point. 
right? You don't just tell them once and it's done. Leadership requires repeating. And Daniel, I used to get so frustrated when I'd have to repeat myself to my team, but I realized that's the process by which people learn. You've got people that are brand new and never heard you say it, or you've got people that have been with you a couple years and heard you say it a few times. So get in the habit of repeating it in the way that you teach it, but also in the way that you model it and you give your team a chance to learn it. All right, we're going to keep rolling with the great content, none other than Simon Sinek, who, by the way, uh, what a champ. Guy is sick. His voice is completely trashed. Thankfully, he was able to rest it and give everything he had. It was great, as he always is. He's talking about the infinite game. Here is a portion of his talk. How do you win all the battles? How do you decimate your enemy and still lose the war? Turns out we don't fully understand winning and losing. And winning and losing are not as clear-cut as we think it is. James Carsey, a theologian, wrote a wonderful little book in the mid-80s called Finite and Infinite Games. And in that little book, he articulates that if you have at least one competitor, a game exists. And there are two types of games. There are finite games and there are infinite games. A finite game is defined as known players fixed rules, and an agreed-upon objective. Baseball. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and an end, and we all agree whoever has more points at the end of the game is the winner, and the game concludes, and we all go home. Everybody agrees to play by the rules. An infinite game is defined as known and unknown players. New players can join at any time. The rules are changeable, and the objective is to perpetuate the game, to stay in the game as long as possible. When you put a finite player versus a finite player, it's a stable system. Baseball is stable. When you put an infinite player versus an infinite player, the system is also stable. Like, the Cold War was stable, for example, because we could not have any winners or any losers, so we both keep playing to stay in the game. Problems arise when you put a finite player versus an infinite player in an infinite game, because a finite player is playing to win, and an infinite player is playing to keep playing and they're making different strategic choices according to their mindset. And what ends up happening is the finite player will always find themselves in quagmire. Because in an infinite game, because there is no winning and losing, what ends up happening is you run out of the will and the resources to keep playing. So this is an interesting thought to me in the business world. Because if you think about it, business is an infinite game. There's no beginning, there's no middle, and there's no end. And though a company may be born, there's no set time when a company should close its doors, right? It obeys all the rules of an infinite game. There's players you know about and players you don't know about, and new players can join any time. Anybody can run their business the way they want. The rules are changeable. And the objective is not to win, because there's no such thing as winning in business. It doesn't exist. We haven't agreed to the metrics, and we haven't agreed to the time frames, which means we have a bit of a problem. Because if you listen to the language of the vast majority of leaders, they don't know the game that they're in. They talk about being number one, being the best, beating their competition. Based on what? I haven't agreed to your metrics or your timeframes. It's impossible to be the best, be number one, or beat your competition. Which means if you're playing with a finite mindset in the infinite game of business, the odds are that you will eventually run out of the will or the resources to play, We call this bankruptcy, we call this merger acquisition. You fall out of the game, and the game continues with you or without you. And in the infinite game, there's only one true competitor, yourself. So if we have to adjust 
our mindset for the game we're actually in. Because you don't get to choose the rules of the game. You do get to choose if you want to play, and you do get to choose your own mindset, but you don't get to choose the rules of the game. And whether we like it or not, the game of business is an infinite game. So if we want to learn, if we want to adjust our mindset for the game we're actually in, we have to learn to lead with an infinite mindset. That requires five things. Number one, you have to have a just cause. Number two, you have to have trusting teams. Number three, you have to have a worthy rival. Number four, you have to have a capacity for existential flexibility. And number five, you have to have the courage to lead. Let's go through them. Number one, just cause. A just cause is a cause so just that you would be willing to sacrifice your interests in order to advance it. That's what it means. It's not a goal, it's not a moonshot. It's something so big and idealistic that you would willingly sacrifice your own interests to advance it. One of my favorite examples of a just cause was written down for us in the Declaration of Independence. Our founding fathers wrote down the very reason why we needed our own nation because we believe that all men were created equal, endowed with these unalienable rights, amongst which include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's an ideal that we will never actually attain, but we will die trying. That is the point. Now, let us not kid ourselves. When they wrote those words in the Declaration of Independence, they meant white Protestant men. But even back then, they knew that this was a message that was inclusive, and they had to work towards that ideal. Even back then, George Washington knew that we had to be more inclusive and he banned the organizing against Catholics in his armies and would regularly attend Catholic services to send the message that the reason we were fighting is for inclusion. And when we won the revolution, which was finite, now the hard work began to build towards and move closer to that just cause that we had fought for. And we saw the abolition of slavery and we saw women's suffrage and we saw civil rights, and we saw gay rights. And you can start to see that even all of those things are in themselves incomplete. But you can see that the nation is trying desperately to move closer towards the just cause. In a just cause, in a business with a just cause, you advance. There's no winning, it's about advancing. And metrics are extremely important, and the finite games are extremely important because they help us measure our progress towards that just cause. It's fine to say we won, but what did we win to advance? What are we advancing towards? You must have a just cause. And when I talk about sacrificing, right? Examples of sacrifice when you have a cause so just means that maybe your people are offered a job with higher pay than what you're paying them. Or maybe they're being offered a job with fewer hours to work or fewer business trips that they have to take. And they say no. Because even though they would love to make more money, and even though they would like to take fewer business trips, and they would like to work fewer hours, and they miss their families, for them to do all those things, the sacrifices they make, feel to them like it's worth it. Because they feel like they're working towards something bigger than themselves. Give people a just cause to work towards, and make them feel like their work matters more than the work that they're actually doing. And if you want to play in the infinite game, you have to have a just cause. Number two, trusting teams. I went on a business trip to Las Vegas and they put me up in the uh, Four Seasons out there. It's a beautiful hotel. 
And the reason it's a beautiful hotel is not because of the fancy beds. Any hotel can buy a fancy bed. The reason it's a fantastic hotel is because of the people who work there. That when you walk the hallways and somebody says hello to you, you get the distinct feeling that they wanted to say hello, not that they were told to say hello. We're highly attuned social animals. We can tell the difference. We can all tell the difference when a salesman is working on commission, right? You can feel it, right? They happen to have a coffee bar in the lobby of the Four Seasons in Las Vegas. And one afternoon, I went and bought myself a cup of coffee. The barista working that day was a kid named Noah. Noah was funny, engaging, charming. I stood there for far too long buying a cup of coffee. Had way more fun than anyone should ever have buying a cup of coffee. So as is my nature, I asked Noah, do you like your job? Without skipping a beat, Noah says, I love my job. Now in my line of work, that's significant. Like is rational. I get paid well, I like the challenge, I like the people, I like my job. Love is emotional. It's, it's a higher order, right? Do you love your wife? I like her a lot, right? <laughs> just not the same. <laughs> and Noah said, I love my job. So immediately, my ears perk up. He has an emotional connection to his, to his job. So I follow up. I said, tell me specifically what the Four Seasons is doing that you would say to me you love your job. Without skipping a beat, Noah said, throughout the day, managers will walk past me, ask me how I'm doing, ask me if there's anything I need to do my job better. Not just my manager any manager. And then he said, I also work at another hotel. And there the managers walk past us and catch us when we do things wrong. He says, they're driving us to make the numbers. I like to just keep my head below the radar. I just want to make it through the day and collect my paycheck. He said, only at the Four Seasons do I feel I can be myself. Okay. Noah works on a trusting team. This is the exact same human being working in two different jobs, and the only difference in the service that we will receive from Noah is not the person, it's the leadership. I get this question all the time, Simon, how do we get the most out of our people? People are not a towel, we don't wring them out. The question is flawed, which means you'll get all the right answers for the wrong question. The correct question to ask is, how do we create an environment in which our people can work at their natural best? If you ask yourself that question, you get Noah. You know when you are on a trusting team because you can feel it. You know when you're in a trusting team because people will willingly raise their hands and say, I made a mistake. I don't feel like I have enough training for the job that you've asked me to do. I'm having trouble at home, it's affecting my work. I'm scared, I need help without any fear of humiliation or retribution. In fact, they say those things to their colleagues or their leader with the confidence that people will rush in to offer support. That's how you know when you're in a trusting team. Number three, worthy rival. Now, I told you that the only true competitor in an infinite game is yourself, which is true. However, you have to have people to compare yourself to, to use as benchmarks because your worthy rivals are worthy of comparisons and their strengths reveal to you your weaknesses. There's another guy who does what I do. He stands on stages and gives talks and he writes books. He's exceptionally well regarded. I think his work is exceptionally good. And 
by all intents and purposes, he's extremely good at what he does. I hate him. <laughs> he's always been very polite to me when I've seen him at other events. I hate him. I don't know what to tell you. It's a total irrational hatred I have for him. And as a result of my hatred, I'm very competitive with him. And as a result of my competitive nature with him, I will regularly go online and check my book rankings and immediately compare them to his. <laughs> Mind you, I don't compare them to anyone else's. Just his. And if I'm ahead, I'm smug. And if he's ahead, I'm angry. We were invited to speak at the same event together, and I don't mean me in the morning, him in the afternoon. I mean we were invited to be interviewed together on the same stage at the same time. And the interviewer thought it would be fun if we introduced each other. <laughs> so I went first. And I turned to him and I said, um, you make me really insecure. I said, all of your strengths are all of my weaknesses. And whenever your name comes up, it makes me uncomfortable. He looked at me and he said, funny, I feel the same about you. <laughs> the reason I hated him had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with me. Because his strengths revealed to me my weaknesses, instead of taking a hard look in the mirror, it was much easier to direct that energy against him. It was much easier to direct all of that energy in trying to beat him and conquer him to make myself feel better. Where in reality, he's my worthy rival. I don't care how well he does. His strengths reveal to me my weaknesses, and the more my weaknesses are revealed to me, it gives me an opportunity to work on those weaknesses and build on those weaknesses. Turns out, people can buy more than one book. <laughs> and ever since that incredibly cathartic experience, I no longer compare my book rankings to his. In fact, we've become very close friends. And the last book I just wrote, I actually sent him my manuscript, if he would please read it, before I sent it to the publisher. This is what happens sometimes when we make amends with our worthy rivals. We realize we actually have the same just cause, and we're more powerful together than we are competing against each other. The problem is if we show up in business and we view everybody as competition, we have this competitive mindset. And the competitive mindset is about beating, 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 winning, winning, winning. And the problem is, if you have too much of that, you'll stop at nothing to win, even though we don't know what that means. So it's like running in a race and tripping the other runner. You'll win the race, but you're still a slow runner. And the problem is, in this race, there is no end, and you have to keep running and running and running and running and running and running. Better to lose this year, come back next year a stronger runner. By all means, keep metrics, by all means, benchmark, but remember, your worthy arrivals are there to reveal to you your weaknesses and make you a stronger player. And when they drop out of the game, you find a new one. You can have as many worthy rivals as you want. They can be companies, they can be in your industry, they can be outside of your industry, they can even be other individuals in your company. And instead of hating the people inside our own organizations because they got promoted and they don't deserve it, rather we can say, they are a better leader than me and I need to learn from them. You need a capacity for existential flexibility. I'm not talking about the daily flexibility you need to have and the regular machinations of work. I'm talking about the kind of flexibility that could profoundly affect the very existence of your own organization. I'll give you the famous case, the best one, I think. So Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, the founders of Apple, they had a just cause. Their cause was to empower the individual to stand up to Big Brother. They imagined 
the ideal of an individual accumulating so much power that you could literally compete against an, a corporation and they saw the perfect solution in the personal computer, which is why they're so enamored by the personal computer. Apple has already come off the success of the Apple I and the Apple II. Steve Jobs is already a famous CEO. And in 1979, Jobs and a few of his senior executives decided to visit Xerox Park for a tour. This was Xerox's R&D department. People do this all the time. They visit each other's companies. And while they're at Xerox, Xerox showed them a technology that they had invented called the graphic user interface. It allowed people to use a computer by moving a mouse and they could move a cursor over a desktop and click on folders and icons to make the computer work instead of having to learn a computer language. Jobs sees this. He sees this as profoundly powerful to advance his cause to empower individuals to use a personal computer. So as they're leaving Xerox Park, he says to his other executives, we have to invest in this graphic user interface thing. And the voice of reason amongst the group said, Steve, we can't. We've already invested millions of dollars and countless man hours in something else. We can't simply abandon all the money we've spent to simply invest in something else. If we do that, we'll blow up our own company. To which Jobs responded, better we should blow it up than someone else. That decision became the Macintosh. A computer operating system so profound that it literally changed the way we use computers today. In fact, the entire software of Windows is designed to act like a Macintosh. The reason that one individual today can compete against a corporation is because of that decision. Jobs had the capacity for existential flexibility, which means he was willing to make a completely profound shift in strategy, a profound shift in course, in order to better advance the just cause. Had he stayed on the course he was on, the company would have done fine for a while, and eventually the market would have blown him up. But he had the capacity for existential flexibility. To have the capacity for existential flexibility, you have to have a just cause and you have to have trusting teams because you have to know the reason why. This is not shiny object syndrome. This is not some CEO who went to some conference and now comes back and changes everything. These are done with purpose, for purpose, on purpose. And because of the trusting teams, they all say to themselves, this is going to suck, but it's worth it. And they hunker down and they work with the team and they work with the company and nobody abandons ship. We see funny examples like this all the time where organizations are so protective of their business models that they literally put themselves out of business. I firmly believe that bankruptcy is an act of suicide. It's not the market. It's not disruption. It's a leader's incapacity to follow a just cause. And if you don't have one, you're only exaggerating the opportunity. Final one is the courage to lead. I wish this one didn't have to be on the list, but it is. The courage to lead is the willingness to recognize that the game you're in and the rules you play by are not necessarily aligned. We work in a world, we live in a world in which the overwhelming pressures on us are to play by the finite game. If you have investors, they are putting pressure on you to play by the finite game. They are pushing you and forcing you to make decisions that you know are bad for your company. If you run a public company, the public markets are putting overwhelming pressure on leaders in public companies to play the finite game. And sometimes we put pressure on ourselves to play the finite game, that we want to be the best, we want to be number one, we want to win, we want to win, we want to win. The courage to lead means... I'm in the infinite game, and I'm going to change my mindset and completely work to re-understand how the world works and change the way in which I work within it. 
to play by the rules of the game that I'm actually in. The courage to lead means not to give in to the pressures. The courage to lead means the capacity to wait for results, that they don't have to happen at some arbitrary date. But it's okay if we can see that we're on track to hit the number, if we don't hit it on time. That person should be bonus because they're repeating the kind of behavior that we want. That's the courage to lead. That's the courage to lead. To understand that you're building an organization to outlast you. You're building your own, you're building your own successors. You're building systems that can withstand any pressure and any change. All of this discussion of the infinite game begs the question, what does it mean to live an infinite life? Clearly our lives are finite. We are born, we die. But the game is infinite. The game continues with us or without us. Which means we have a choice how we want to play in the infinite game of life. Do we want to live our lives by finite rules? Or do we want to live our lives with an infinite mindset? To play in the infinite game of life with a finite mindset means we're trying to make more money than everybody else, we're trying to achieve more power, we want to be the biggest, we want to be the best, and when we die, you don't take it with you. To live your life with an infinite mindset means you're committed to seeing those around you rise. You're committed to seeing those around you access their own skills and their own talents and build their confidence. It means that your organization will survive you, not because your people want, not because you told people to do it, but because they want to do it. That if you got hit by a school bus, everybody would rally to keep your organization going without you because they love working here and they want to keep the vision alive. To live an infinite life means one day I can go up to somebody who's remarkable and I say, how did you learn to become who you are? And they will mention your name. The impact that we can have in the lives of others literally means we can live on forever. We do not get to choose the game that we're in. We get to choose if we want to play, and we get to choose the rules we play by. It's just a choice. Thank you very much. All right, so we told you at the top of the program how full today's content was, and so we want to be able to bring you more of this amazing event that we call Entree Leadership Summit. So we've been telling you about the Summit Backstage Pass. This is access to lessons from this year's Summit. If you haven't registered, you need to do that because you're going to get three free lessons from Summit, including Dave's opening keynote. Chris Hogan's keynote and my keynote. We're also going to include a bonus lesson with our senior leaders who are doing on-site content here at Summit. That's Daniel Tardy, Executive Vice President of Business and Leadership, and Sarah Sloyan, Senior Vice President of Entree Leadership. In addition, you'll get a downloadable guide to follow along and access to the community of other leaders who are joining in online. Now, this is the only way to get these full lessons from Summit. So get your Backstage Pass by texting Backstage Pass, no spaces. Text Backstage Pass to 33444. That's 33444. Or click the link in the show notes. Well, that's going to do it for Day 2 of Entree Leadership Summit. On behalf of the entire Entree Leadership team, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.